don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't assume that everybody, just because you think something, everybody will agree that everybody has the same understanding. Just because it seems logical and obvious, to me, doesn't mean it actually is. Hi, I'm Nils Spinya, and you're listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development one conversation at a time. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous, and the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard, you just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Hello and welcome to another episode of the B2B Leadership Podcast. My name is Nils Vinya and today my guest is Melissa Benua. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Nils. Glad to be here. I'm excited to dig into all things leadership with you, Melissa. But first, would you share with me and our audience the role that you're in today and the company that you work for? Yeah, so I'm a senior director of engineering at a startup called Mparticle. I run our platform engineering group. So my group is responsible for all of the good, efficient things that help our engineers get good code out the door really quickly to make our customers really happy. Wonderful. And who are your customers? What kind of a market are you serving? Yeah, so MParticle is a customer data platform. And our customers are basically anybody who wants to use their data to make their business more efficient and to be able to take quick, <laughs> quick relevant action to keep their customers really happy um, while maintaining you know, efficient spend and efficient use of their time and resources. When we're talking data and making decisions, that's a hot topic all the time. All so you guys are feeling an incredible void and I'm sure your customers are extremely happy. Are there any particular verticals or types of problems that you solve better than anybody else out there when it comes to taking data and making decisions? In a couple places. So we are very, very, very good at helping our customers know what their data is. If their data looks like what they think it should look like, um, or if one of their engineers has maybe misspelled the word login in an event JSON, before mm-hmm. you have to find out 30 days later that all of your events are garbage and have to be thrown away. That's unfortunate. Yep. Good. <laughs> really unfortunate, but a problem more common than you would think. And then enabling our customers to do what they need to do with our data. So we are... I think we're the, we're the top in the industry at our level of connections to other companies, right? Because mm. your data isn't useful if it just sits in a silo and nobody can poke at it. Your data yeah. is useful when you can use it. So we have hundreds of integration partners that we can send the data to, whatever the best in class is for whatever domain of problem you need to solve. There's wow. always new startups coming every day. You know, the, right. who, who knows who the newest, hottest AI analytics company is going to be? I don't know, but in particle, we'll probably talk to them. And you want to be able to just pipe your data into them through MParticle. Is that right? Exactly. Without nice. you having to do a big engineering lift to do it. That's, yeah, that's the key. Oh, that's wonderful. What a great, what a great solution. And there's no shortage of data in our world today, and there will be no shortage of data in the future. So you guys it's are not getting smaller. Right. It's not getting smaller. Okay. Awesome. All right. So Melissa, let's switch gears a little bit and talk, start talking some leadership 
pieces and want to find out more about your journey, would you share with us, how did you get into your very first leadership position? Yeah, so I started in my career, well, actually started my career as a software tester, moved into distributed systems, back-end engineering, and was a back-end engineer at Microsoft when I sort of started realizing uh, engineering is fun. I love writing code, but I think I would like to solve systemic people problems as well because those are also very interesting. I told my manager at the time, yes, I'm really interested. I'd like to start by running an intern, you know, hosting an intern. I'd like to lead some team projects because I'd like to get into management. And at the time, the manager said, my manager said, great, we'll give you an intern and we'll let you lead these tech projects. But you should really think about if you actually want to go to people management because you're so technical. You're so good at these technical things. We need more women like you in the technical side. Are you sure that you want to go over into management? Hang on, hang on. So it, use the term, we, we need more women like you in the technical field. What did it feel like on the receiving end of that comment? It sounds a little just, you know, putting you in a box, but what was it like when you heard that feedback back from your manager? Yeah, and I, I know that he meant it as a compliment, right? I know it was meant with the best of intentions of paying me credit in, in, in a field that can be quite hard, but it was actually pretty demoralizing because it's not what I wanted to do. I mean, I've liked being technical. I enjoyed, you know, I still to this day enjoy solving technical problems, but it was a subtle put down that maybe the maybe what I'm trying to do isn't what I should be doing. And I'm, you know, maybe better suited for something else, right? It was very hard not to read that interpretation in. Well, and that's, you know, the reason I asked that question is because there's, there's two sides of this, right? And, and both sides inadvertently think they're doing the right thing. And both sides are causing a conflict with the other side. <laughs> so that, you know, that manager who is sharing that sentiment coming from a good place, right? Giving, supporting you was actually doing the exact opposite. And how just, you know, kind of want to call attention to how important it is that in how we as leaders respond to requests like that. And even exactly. though we might think we're sharing great advice or, or a recommendation that's appropriate, it could have the completely different impact just like it did for you. Right. Because the message I took away was not, I'm really technical. I should, I would excel on this road. I should stay on this road. The message I took away was, ah, my manager must see something in me that wouldn't make a good leader. So I probably shouldn't pursue this because yeah. my manager is discouraging me from doing so. And it's just sad. That was not the intent, right? Right. How the message is received is always what message was actually received, not the intent. Right. Yeah. Communication happens at the listener's ear, not the speaker's mouth. 100%. Yeah. And this is a perfect example of that. And so, you know, for our audience listening, think about when someone is saying that they want to go do X, Y, Z, whatever it is, whether it's people management or even more technical stuff. And the response that you give can have the complete opposite effect, even though you think you're doing the right thing or you think you're giving them support and showing how much, you know, like in this case, how much technical, um, you know, credit you had in that particular exactly. position. Yeah. Okay. So you got that message back from this manager. What happened from there? Um, so honestly, I didn't stay on that team long, right? It wasn't, he made it pretty clear to, to me anyway, that he wasn't aligned with how he wanted to grow me versus what I thought that I wanted. So I jumped, um, I jumped teams and I, you know, pretty quickly left, uh, left the company to join, <laughs> to join another company where it sounded like I might be able to get that impact there instead. I joined a much smaller team, much smaller company. Okay. Let me, let me back up for a second. So what changed in the relationship between you and your manager and you and that company after that conversation? Like, was that the point at which you said, well, 
this no way this is going to work? Or did you, you know, try to work it out for a little bit and was like, oh, maybe I'll just see how it plays out. Like how, how fast of a decision was it in your mind? Because it has a, had a huge impact. You actually left the company eventually. I did. You, and this was a huge, one of the world's biggest software companies. Like there's a lot yes, of opportunities there. A lot of people are employed. And you actually left partly in, as a result of this conversation. I'm sure there were other factors. But what changed between your manager and you and how fast did it change? It didn't quit on the spot. No. I um, but it, <laughs> it, it took, um, I started paying attention, right, to what opportunities am I being given? Do I feel like I'm being stretched and challenged? And am I being supported? And a couple of other things fell through, which probably weren't entirely my manager's under his control or his, his, his fault, but they did fall through and things that I was really interested in doing. Organizational structure made it look like the opportunities that I, even the ones that I had rested away, weren't going to be given to people of my level again, mm-hmm. um, just in the way they chose to re- reorg the team. So I could see there wasn't going to be an opportunity for me to do the things that I really wanted to do. And as that became, you know, more and more clear, I disconnected from the team and started, look, you know, that's when you open the door to, to other opportunities. To all those recruiter pings that you get, like, hey, mm-hmm. <laughs> how would you mm-hmm. like a new opportunity over here? Okay, cool. You know, I dig in on this because so much comes down to the lots of small little things, right? People don't leave, like you said, on the spot unless there's something egregious or something crazy. Unless something big happens. Exactly. Which it can, but most of the time it's not. But if you have a series of a lot of little things where your expectations of the organization, expectations of opportunities, whatever you've been told in the past about opportunities don't come true, then it makes cutting the ties even easier. And at some point it becomes very clear, like, all right, this just isn't going to work out. Exactly. Every misalignment, every miscommunication, every you know, slipped promise makes it a little bit easier to cut those ties. Yep. 100%. And so we as leaders have a very big obligation to make sure that we are consciously aware of when those missed expectations happen and how many of them happen and what the real state is of the individuals. You're a very valuable person and they, that organization lost you partly as a result of missing lots of little things that were potential opportunities. Right. Not just, having a clear a clear vision that I was aligned together about my growth. That's right. And that's what it comes down to. Okay, cool. So you went to company number two and the intent, this was a much smaller organization. And the intent was, I still want to get into leadership, right? So what happened to the second leadership. company? Um, so... I came in with the understanding, right? I didn't come into a leadership, you know, it wasn't hired as a manager, didn't come into a leadership position, but made it pretty clear on the interview. Look, this is where I'm liking, I would like to get into. Obviously, we're quite small right now. I'm more than happy to pull my weight as an engineer. But as these leadership positions come up, you know, I would like to be very seriously considered for them. I mean, we're small yeah. enough. Like, it's not like I'm competing with hundreds of other people. Yeah. Um, we're small enough that that shouldn't be a problem. And then it turns out that it was a problem. <laughs> mm. <laughs> they needed me to continue to stay technical for whatever reason or another it became clear over time that our leadership philosophies didn't align. What I wanted and what I thought a good leader was wasn't always the same as what the organization wanted and thought a good leader was. And it's you know not right or wrong, but it is different. And it became clear over time as well that that wasn't going to work out. It became actually really crystallized. I ran an intern program. And mm-hmm. what I thought my interns should be doing, the way we should be training these people who are new, right, new to professional jobs, don't have any, I'm setting their baseline for what to expect out of the rest of their professional lives. Yep. Um, and what I thought that was appropriate to set to did not align with what my leadership mm. thought was appropriate to do with interns. And that really, really, really made it clear to everybody that 
whether or not I'm good at a leadership role, I wasn't going to be good at a leadership role in that <laughs> in that organization. In that environment. Right, right. When there's such a difference between the expectations. Now, prior to you running that intern program, was there discussion about the program? Was there agreement on what the interns were going to do or how you were going to approach it? Or was it hands off, like do whatever you want? And then only later came back and found out that, you know, things were not what they had expected. Um, there were, if I, you know, in retrospect, there were probably hints that there was misalignment there. As often happens in small companies, sometimes get, things get kind of seat of your pants and a small idea blows up into a big idea. And before you know it, you're hiring one intern, you got six. Uh, <laughs> you're redesigning the program on the fly. You're resetting expectations on the fly. Yep. Um, so, th- but there were certainly hints that with experience, now I'm, I'm very aware of these implied lack of alignment between what I think a project should do and what somebody else thinks a project should do. Would you, um, is, is there an example? hard lessons. Yeah. Well, that, and that would be great to dig into and peel apart a little bit. The implied lack of alignment. Because I think there is a lot of vagueness in work today, period. And sometimes right. people will say things, they will make comments, it will be offhand, it won't necessarily be that direct. But what were, is there an example you could share of one of these implied lack of alignment things that sticks out in your mind is like, I, now I pay acute attention anytime anybody says something like that. Right. There would be casual mentions to the productivity boost we would get from having these interns, from all the work they were going to turn through. And anybody mm. who's ever had interns knows that you don't. You don't, you don't really hire them product. for a productivity boost. At best, you boost. break even. Yeah. Right? It's kind yeah. of a community service. It's kind of a, it's, it can be a great recruiting arm. It can be a great way to pay back the community. It can be a good way yeah. to find people you're going to want to hire when they graduate. Yeah. It's not a productivity boost when you look at the time, right? A more experienced engineer has to put in to get the output out of them. Yeah. It's almost and sometimes always people a net look negative. At it and they're like, they're cheap. So of course we'll get huge productivity for a cheap cost. And, and that yeah. was exactly the, exactly the mindset that was going in. Oh, these guys mm-hmm. are really cheap. We're paying them, you know, we were a gaming company. We're paying them, you know, very little compared to yeah. what we'll have to pay them when they graduate. Cause it's yeah. games. Everybody loves games. Um, <laughs> and you know, we're going to get all this feature work done. And I would say, yeah, you know, I, I would say, yeah, I guess, or I'd try to reset, you know, lower expectations a little, but it didn't really occur to me that, Oh, this yeah. is going to be a bigger problem because they're not joking. They're very serious about <laughs> the work that they think these interns are going to do and how many hours I'm going to have to put in to get them to do it. We'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. Exactly, right? And so there's these underlying assumptions that are not being talked about, agreed upon at a one-to-one or even just on the table level. Right. And ultimately, this all came to a head later. What was the circumstances where this came out to the point where you were like, okay, <laughs> we've gone two completely different directions. We have very different ideas of what we can do with this intern program. Was there a particular incident or did something bubble up at one point and just get to be too much? 
ran the program to completion. The interns had a good time. I was very aggressive in defending their work-life balance, especially mm-hmm. in defending the work that they should be doing, the realistic expectations. I took the hits for that. I took the hits for the misalignment, for protecting, you know, for shielding them. But, you know, you can only disagree fundamentally with your leadership before so long before you're like, no, nah, you got to go. Yeah. Whether you're right, again, whether you're right or wrong, it doesn't matter. Right. You right. cannot be misaligned at that fundamental level. It's time to go. Yeah. That's a great point. And whether you're right or wrong doesn't matter. It's a key doesn't piece matter. There, right. And a lot of people, leaders in particular and ICs, it doesn't matter, want to be right. Like we all have a, well, most people have an intrinsic quality to, to want to be right because, you know, it's no fun being wrong. But whether you're right or wrong in this case, it didn't really matter because you were so misaligned. It's irrelevant. Right. right. Now, I, of course, I made mistakes, right? I should have checked assumptions. I've, I made plenty of mistakes. There were mistakes made on the other side too, but the culmination of those and the root was misaligned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Always, uh, that, the, there was a belief that we can hire very cheap labor and get 10x productivity. It, he may have been week. right, right? For all I know, yeah. he was right and it could have worked. And the yeah. fact that I said, no, I don't think we can, that was the problem. He could have uh-huh. been right. Absolutely. I'm perfectly willing to admit that, but it doesn't matter whether he was right or I was right because we didn't agree. Right. If one side can't come to a, at least, well, can't be on the same level with the other, whether or not you agree, then you have just conflict, right? Right. Because there's, there's always no going to be, be that successful. tension. Yeah. Right. Even if I ran the program perfectly to my standards, they were never going to meet his standards. Yeah. Right. And if you magically had somehow ended up with this huge productivity boost, then they would have been happy, but you would have been like, huh? I didn't, I don't get it. Right. It I would have, you know, some, would have had to pay it somewhere else. I would have been exhausted yeah. or we would have had to pay. Yeah. We would have had to compromise on something that I wasn't willing to compromise on. Yes. But yes, just yes. because I wasn't willing doesn't mean we shouldn't have. These are such great examples of the tiny little comments here and there that have the potential to blow up stuff <laughs> like entire exactly. projects entire relationships right oh yeah looking forward to that productivity boost wait yeah okay i'll just move on and then like a month or two later it's like where's the productivity like and it's like hold on what are you talking about and then that only becomes the time when the alignment discussion happens it's exactly and it's too late Hard. by then yeah it's too late okay so reflecting on that now on that particular experience and knowing everything you know today, what would you do differently before that program even was launched or got started? How would you frame it up? So it's the way we do it now and the way I, I'm rigorous around every project I run, whether it's technical, non-technical, is aligning on the first principles. What are we trying okay. to get out of this? Yep. Write it down, make everybody agree. And then what are the what are we debating about? What are the 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 questionable things, right, that are not obviously everybody agrees the sun, you know, the sun rises in the morning, but are interns a productivity boost or not? Do we agree on that? If we don't, yeah. let's have a discussion all the way through the end. Um, yep. What do we want out of the intern program? What work is appropriate? What work isn't appropriate? How much work are we expecting out of their in- engineering mentor? How many interns can an engineering mentor have at what productivity hit? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are the expectations we have out of you if you're a mentor for the rest of your work? Hmm. What you would have done looking back now is, and this is an example of what you do today, is before a project starts, laying that all out with the key people who are part of going to be part of the project. And I'm curious, you know, you work in fast-paced environments. Sometimes there's going to be answers to these things, and sometimes there's probably not. So how do you handle the case where you have to move fast, but at the same time, you got to have realistic aligned expectations 
how do you balance those two? We agree on the on the guess, right? We agree this mm-hmm. is a guess. It's only got so much confidence in it, but we agree, right? We agree that yeah, it's gonna probably every mentor is probably gonna take a twenty percent productivity hit for interns, and it may be eighteen percent, it may be twenty five percent. Hopefully, it's not seventy percent because then we yeah. were really wrong. Um, yep. But we agree, right? The fundamentals. We agree that there's going to be a productivity hit to the work that this person is going to do because they're doing this other work. Yeah. Hmm. And that agreement do is from a documentation standpoint or a formalization standpoint. How do you capture all of that? Written down. So we've because I'm an engineer, we do we do we do a lot of specs, a lot of tech specs, a lot of establishing them on requirements. So I graphed a lot of the thing I used to do as a. I see engineer all of the that level of design and architecture. I graphed it onto my management techniques and my process techniques to say, we would have written a technical spec to describe what the software is going to do. We're going to write a technical spec, quote unquote, to describe what this what this process is going to do, what this uh, program is going to do. Oh, that's pretty cool. And then everybody is, you're having the discussion and agreeing and signing off on the technical spec of whatever exactly. this initiative or project is going to do or process. Exactly. Huh. That's really cool. I think it's a great adaptation of the structure of engineering applied to, you know, leadership. That's great. Systems of like, people. Systems of people. I love how you said that. It's perfect. That's what it's all about, right? Because the same questions exist in an engineering challenge where there are assumptions made about a particular feature or a function or something. And if it's not designed into the spec and agreed to, it's not going to happen. Somebody's right. going to be disappointed. If we don't agree on what the goals of the project are, how will we know that it was successful? Exactly. And I think that is a place where a lot of leaders get stuck because there is sometimes the, I don't know, burning desire to get things moving or get going and figure it out as you go, even though like it might feel good in the moment because you're going fast. Once you get a little ways down, you realize that you have to unwind a whole lot more because you didn't do that upfront work of specking it out. One of my colleagues who's an architect, his favorite phrase to use when we're talking about this stuff is that um, weeks of coding can save you hours of specking. <laughs> That's, that sounds true to architect fashion. <laughs> there mm-hmm, you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the implication being, right, that if you had only spent two or three hours specking, you could have saved yourself three weeks of going down a crazy right. road that never was going to lead to where you wanted to get to. That's right. And I, I think that's probably the norm. And a lot of times, not every time, but the principles, the first principle you're talking about here that you've taken from your engineering experience apply perfectly to the the systems of people from a leadership perspective, which is awesome. Cool. Um, All right. So you eventually exited that organization, right? I did. And you moved on to MParticle. So now MParticle, I'm sure you went in there saying, hey, I want to get into people leadership. What happened when you joined? So I, yeah, I made it really clear from from the interview time, right? From the very very beginning. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, I'm I'm very technical. Of course, I'll do a technical interview, but I really really would prefer to do team management. And as long as there is a very clear direct path for me to team management, I will be delighted to join and do whatever technical work you need. Yeah. Um, and being explicitly clear during the interview process before we were even discussing offer, um, made it right. We made it very easy for us to see that we were aligned. Um, especially because I was sitting there, uh, I was sitting there very, very, very visibly pregnant and just laid all my cards out on the table, right? Because at that point, there was no, there's no real risk to not being clear. And the risk, um, as, as I had experienced over and over again, of being unclear about basically anything was just too high to tolerate. Hmm. That's a, a really good point in the 
in the interview process to bring this level of clarity and alignment and expectations and agreement all the way back to the beginning before you even join the company. Because before I even join, if you if it's ambiguous and vague there, there's no way it'll ever happen down the line or highly. Right. Unlikely. The most power you have is before you sign the offer. That's right. Once you sign the offer, your amount of leverage goes down significantly. Goes way down. And then you agreed to something. What do you mean? You're, you're going to change the thing you already agreed to? It's not a good look. Yeah, right. It's very difficult and very difficult to change it or even to request. Sometimes we feel even pressure to be like, well, I got I got started. I just got to keep going down this path. Maybe eventually I'll figure out a way to get back to what I wanted to do. Yeah. yeah and I make sure I understand everything. So when I joined Microsoft, I didn't understand how levels were written and they only wrote them in numeric form. And I only knew that oh, mm. I applied to this job. It had this title. So, uh, you know, I, I didn't know or think to check that, yep, the number on my offer letter corresponded to the number, mm. the, which was the title that I interviewed against for the process. And I came in a level lower than I thought I should have. Interesting. And I believed I had been brought in as, but because I didn't ask enough questions and I didn't ensure that we were aligned on my, no, I think I'm coming in at this level. No, actually you're coming in at this other one. I was behind on you, promotions. When did you realize that? Mm, within the first two weeks of starting as I saw my title, like in the system was not what I thought my title was supposed to be. Oh, wow. And then did you have a conversation with any of the people you'd interview with or your manager? Oh, yes. And what was the response? You should have asked questions. You should have known. <laughs> yeah. It was your you say fault. Something? It was my fault. It was your fault. Which, to be fair, probably was my fault, right? I should have asked the well, question. It's nobody's responsibility but my own to ensure that the level I think I'm interviewing for, what do they know? They don't know what level I, I, I think in my head. Yeah. Yeah. So I should have validated those assumptions, and I didn't, and I paid the price for it. And there's something there to, you know, not whose fault it is, but yes, there's ownership on both sides, right? You applied yeah. to a specific position right? There's an ATS record inside of their thing, which ties your application to that level. Yes. And nowhere in the chain was there a discussion about your application has actually been decreased to a different level. Right. Except Nobody somebody else made that decision. Me. Nobody hey, you think you're interviewing no. as SD2. We're going to offer you at SD1 because blah, blah, blah. Yeah. There was never any notice of that. It just was there. And they assumed that you would pick up on it and figure that out. And as you know, interviewing in the beginning, one of your first right. jobs out of college, like it's, you just don't know. Right. I didn't know that I should ask and nobody told me that I should ask. My recruiter didn't say anything to me that I should notice. So yeah. I didn't. Right. But Damn. it was a very, very painful, but very valuable lesson in validating assumptions. And I'm not right. always the best at it, but boy, have I been taught. <laughs> You've had learned some valuable experience. But the best part is there is a dedicated recruiter who was working with you to get you through the process. And mm -hmm. they didn't even bring it up because nope. probably they're incentivized not to bring up that kind of stuff. They just wanted me to sign, right? They're incentivized yeah. by me signing the offer. Yeah. Hey, Melissa, did you know we actually downgraded your role from this to this? Like, they're not going to bring that to the table. And it's just kind of sad, right? And it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. We just but, didn't have a conversation about it, right? Was it right. a mistake, not a mistake? I'll never know because it was on the paper and I signed the paper and that's as far as they care, that was it. And then it didn't change, right? It didn't After change. You were I had there. to get promoted back through to the levels that I believed, you know, whatever, they may think something else, but that I sure. believed I was already at. Yep. And yep. it's promotion velocity, right? You can't get promotions too close together, especially at a big company. You can't do two at once. It's one of the saddest, but one of my favorite excuses. Oh yeah, no, we, we don't do this out of cycle. 
And then inevitably, right. somebody else will go through something out of cycle because they made an exception. And it's like, uh, now you're just making stuff up. But and the, what you know, did, we all know that the fastest way to get promoted at a big company is to go to another big company. Yes. <laughs> and then come back. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but what it did was set up that first couple of weeks, which, you know, one of your first jobs, highly exciting and invigorating, and you already had a huge misalignment and already. feeling was frustration. Nothing but frustration in the beginning, which yep. is hard. That's hard to come back from. A really hard way to start. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So now in the M particle world, yes. you've uh, made it very clear that you want to go down the people management path. And tell us what happened once you got into this. Was this finally the place that those expectations being aligned in the interview process and everything you had learned about specking it out was above board and nailed it? And then did it actually happen? The way you it envisioned. sure did, actually. Yeah. So we set very clear expectations. Of, Look, I'm 28 weeks pregnant today. By the time I start and get ramped up, I'm going to be like 39 weeks pregnant. Probably yeah. don't want me hiring somebody at 39 weeks pregnant. So we just made a plan, right? We're like, look, I'm going to take a maternity leave. Obviously, I'm going to need something because I'm, it's coming whether I want it or not at this point. Yep. And then, you know, probably in the first two or three months back from maternity leave, not the best time to be building an org. At least for me, it wasn't. Yep. So we made a plan about rough time frame, what I was going to work on, what I was going to lead. And then we started building those pieces in. And then about nine, 10 months after my son was, after my son was born, we connected on the plan. We're like, yep, this is still the plan. I was given a headcount and they said, go hire this headcount. And I hired that headcount. And then I was given two more headcounts. And I said, okay, go, you filled that one pretty good. Let's do two more. I filled those headcounts. Um, and it just kept building over time as I, you know, had, you know, showed that I was a capable of hiring, running a program. We were a remote office. So I was, it was just me. I was nice. the senior yep. person in the office um, without, you know, direct oversight. I used to joke, I don't have a boss on the side of the country. I can do whatever we want, um, <laughs> which was sort, was sort of true. Um, <laughs> we didn't do anything too bad, AK, I promise if he's listening. I was able to iteratively build trust in my ability to actually, you know, I can do this. I can be technical. I actually can be a leader. I can build this team up basically from nothing, from the ground up. Um, you know, I built, uh, I hired a lot of people. Um, I hired like 30 something people over the course wow. of the years. Um, wow. Now I have an org. I don't, they don't all report to me anymore, but now I have an org with a couple of managers across three or four teams. But I was able to build it iteratively over the last, the last five years, but really the last four. Okay. Um, and as I proved I could do every step, I was given more power to do the next step, yeah. and the next step, yeah. and the next step. And the big difference Wonderful. is, I stayed aligned with my expectations and my leadership, and they were clear with me on, we will support you. Hmm. Now, when you stayed aligned, say you stayed aligned with your leadership on the expectations, was this something that you were driving, they were driving, both sides were driving? I mean, you wanted to make sure you were aligned, but like, how did that actually happen? Because a lot of times good intentions can fall by the wayside if not both parties aren't doing it. So how did you actually stay aligned? over all this time and when going out of maternity leave, coming back, all the changes, team building, all that good stuff. How did you stay aligned? Communication for the most part and being explicit about expectations. Actually being remote helped in some cases because we would write it down in Slack to talk yeah. to each other, but then we could go review the conversation we had in Slack. Even mm -hmm. if it wasn't enough that we wanted to go make a doc and do all these things about it, at least I could see. Yeah. And then we could augment that with a, you know, with a Zoom or a, a video communication, but there was always the written record of, here's yeah. what we said. 
and then you know it, it took time to rebuild trust mostly for me because i'd had some some trust issues with <laughs> staying and being aligned with my manager and being rewarded for the things that i thought were important yeah um, so it took time to rebuild the like open and ominous communication that you need for alignment right you cannot be aligned if one of you is lying yeah i 100 percent and and that's wonderful so the written piece is interesting and i think one of the greatest benefits of the world going remote during the pandemic, right? Was the force that the forcing function of you can't just have a conversation and make decisions anymore because there were too many people involved. They weren't all in the office and you had to actually write something down. <laughs> whether exactly. it was in Slack, whether it was in the doc, whether it was in the spec doc, whatever it was, you had to actually write it down. And, and that sounds like it was a huge asset for you in ensuring and being remote helped to support that was that there was always a record of what the alignment was. We were very fortunate that we'd been running as a satellite office for years, right? For years before we went remote for COVID. So a lot of the muscle memory wasn't wasn't really a change. You know, there were a few of us who were in the office together, but the biggest thing we missed was lunch and hanging out and seeing, you know, the informal level of relationship building. Yeah. But work-wise, we barely missed a beat because we were already on our laptops, already from wherever, already used to Zooming with half the other engineers in the company. And already specking things out in, in documented form so that people in other parts of the country, other parts of the world could actually read and consume it without having to talk to you one-on-one exactly. necessarily. Right. Exactly. We're already very painfully aware of the damage that happens when you have a lot of one-on-one conversations and then nobody brings it all together into a group and a document and writes it down because we'd already experienced that. I mean, that was a core issue that exists in all office environments right up till the shut down of the pandemic. Absolutely. It was just, it was easy, right? You can't yeah. blame them. It's like, hey, I'd, and a lot of people when they we went remote were like, it was so great. I just miss being able to have a conversation with somebody, make a decision and move on. And I was like, yeah, but nobody else knew that. And in three months when somebody said, what did we decide about that? Nobody could recall what actually exactly. was the context. So you might've written it on a whiteboard, but yeah. you wrote it on a whiteboard and nobody took a picture and then nobody posted it somewhere. And then you erase the whiteboard and it's gone forever. Yeah. But the two people in that room remember something and chances are they remember different things about that. Exactly. Conversation. <laughs> <Right>? Exactly. <laughs> Never mind uh, the people who weren't even there. Right. Right. It, it, it's, it's amazing. So, you know, that from a leadership perspective, you know, the pandemic, I think, drove more people towards your style and what you're saying, which is so important, which is focusing on first principles, documenting everything, getting alignment and agreement on something that is actually documented and reviewable and, you know, archivable to the point where you can look at it in the future, just to stay above the board and not have any misaligned expectations. Right. Exactly. Critical. I hate, I never will say I'm grateful to COVID for anything, but I am grateful that we as an industry have figured out how to communicate remotely effectively. Agree. Agree. And I, I feel the exact same way. Being able to engage with companies all over the world because I didn't have to physically be in their office was a godsend. It was like, hey, yeah, the world keeps turning. It's okay. And actually this can make us better and more efficient and have better outcomes as a result of doing these exact same things like you're talking about from a leadership perspective. Exactly. It seems slower in the moment to moment, but over the long term, over the quarters, it's faster. Oh, 100%. You got to slow down to go fast. You got to slow down <laughs> to go fast. <laughs> All right, Melissa. Okay, last question here. Let's say that you could go back in time to that early Microsoft time, perhaps, 
And you know everything that you know today of all the experiences that you've had, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything. And you can sit down with your younger self at that early Microsoft point, perhaps before you found out that uh, they pulled the quick switch on your um, <laughs> job code and job level. What advice would you share with your younger self? Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't assume that everybody, just because you think something, everybody will agree that everybody has the same understanding. Just because it seems logical and obvious to me doesn't mean it actually is. Been, I don't know, probably the biggest source of issues in my professional life has been making assumptions that, I, that we're all aligned when we are not. Yeah. And then not doing any work to validate the alignment or else fix it. Love it. Wonderful advice. Hard-earned advice. <laughs> Very hard earned. <laughs> cool. Well, Melissa, it's been an absolute blast to spend some time talking with you about your leadership journey. Love hearing about all the incredible things that you and the MParticle team are doing. So can't wait to hear about all of that in the future. So thanks so much for spending time with me. Take care and have a great rest of your day. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at b2bleadershippodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to B2BLeadersAcademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.